And so we've been on this series about a comeback for four weeks. This is week four. And we've been hammering the point across that all of us from time to time need a comeback. Every one of us. I need a comeback from time to time. I need to come back to God. For some reason or another, there's this sinful nature that's inside of me. The power of it's been broken, but it still lives inside of me and it wants to do its own thing. And when it does that, it gets itself far away from God. And then I need a comeback. And the cool thing is that God's waiting for me to come back. He's anxiously waiting for me to come back. And he's waiting for you to come back. Amen. And you can come back. Look at your neighbor and say, you can come back. That was kind of weak. Try that again. There you go. That was better expression right there. Because it's an emotional comeback. It's a spiritual comeback. It's a, it's the kind of comeback that touches your heart. It's a, it's a prodigal son kind of comeback that we all need where the father's on the front porch waiting Man, you got to get this this morning. He's waiting. Not waiting to give you the what for, not waiting to tell you he knew you was there. He said you were going to stumble and I told you this was going to happen. He's not waiting to throw it back in your face. He's waiting to receive you back and put you back where you belong in the family of God. Because because the Bible says that we've been adopted. (laughs) You've been adopted. The Bible says God did not give us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of adoption. He bought us with a price. He he paid a heavy price for you and I to belong to him and to be a part of his family. You've been adopted. And when you live like you're adopted, you live differently. Amen. So this morning, we're going to give our final installment of of the, the comeback series part four. And I want to talk to you today about dreams come true. Uh, we've talked so far in, 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 in this series about how sometimes we need to come back because we make bad decisions. Sometimes we stumble into sin. Sometimes we wander away from God for all these different reasons. We've needed a comeback, but today I'm going to preach something a little bit different about a comeback. Sometimes in life you get, you get people that throw you into pits. I'm spitting all over the place. <laughs> gonna be a good message sometimes in life people throws you people throw you into pits sometimes we walk into pits you ever walk through 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 the yard at night or through the house at night and hit something trip over something sometimes in life that happens and sometimes we didn't do anything to cause it or or to deserve it it's just what happens and so I believe that today, some of you are here today because you've, you've fallen into a pit or maybe somebody threw you into a pit and you took, but you started in your relationship with God and you had a dream and you had visions and you had plans and you had this excitement. And then all of a sudden, because something happened, you're sitting here today with lost dreams and lost hope. So today I want to I want to use the story of Joshua to bring these points across. And so number 1, we're going to talk about the dream. Go with me to Genesis chapter 37. While you're flipping there, I'm going to pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the story of Joshua and how you're going to use that to change our lives today. Lord, help us to see clearly. Help us to see with a heavenly perspective and not a human perspective this morning. Illuminate your word to us in Jesus name. Amen. Genesis chapter 37. We're talking about Joseph this morning. If you remember, Joseph is the guy who got the coat of many colors. He had a bunch of brothers and but he was the favorite. So watch this in verse one. So Jacob settled again in the land of Canaan where his father had lived as a foreigner. This is the account of Jacob and his family. When Joseph was 17 years old, he often tended his father's flocks. He worked for his half-brothers, the sons of his father's wives, Bilhah and Zilpah. Thank God we don't name them that anymore. But Joseph reported to his father some of the bad things his brothers were doing. Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. So one day, Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph, a beautiful robe. But his brothers hated Joseph because his father loved him more than the rest of them. They couldn't say a kind word to him. 
I bet Joseph was excited about the coat of many colors, but in the back of his mind, he was going, man, this is going to bring a little bit more heat on me. I mean, dad already treats me good. You ever been the favorite and got a little backlash? If you've never been the favorite, don't raise your hand. But some of us have been the favorite and we've reaped repercussions for being the favorite. And when people are kind to you, you kind of go, thank you. God, this is going to hurt. Just trust me. That's what happens. Verse five. So one night Joseph had a dream and when he, when he told his brothers about it, they hated him more than ever. Listen to this dream. He said, we were out in the field tying up bundles of grain. Suddenly my bundle stood up and your bundles gathered around and bowed low before me. Okay. First bad move. Your brothers already don't like you. They're jealous. And you're going to share a dream with them where they're bowing down to you. Not good wisdom. Watch what it says. In the next verse says his brothers responded. So you think you'll be our king. Do you do you actually think you'll reign over us? And they hated him all the more because of his dreams and the way he talked about them. I mean, it's just not going well for him. It looks like it's going well, but he's just getting into a deeper pit with his brothers. I mean, there's a whole lot of hatred going on here and he just happens to have a loose tongue and. You know, the hardest, the hardest part of having a dream is handling it. (laughs) The hardest part is when you spend time with Jesus and you get a word for your life or you get a vision or you get a dream or you get something that God's going to do. The hardest thing to do with that is to handle it right. Because here's the thing inside of Joseph was this, this just building up of, of just joy and excitement because his grain's going to be bigger than his brother's grains. And, and, and there's, their grains are going to bow. He's going to be the king. <laughs> but he didn't handle it right. So verse 9 says, soon Joseph had another dream. And again, his brothers, and, and, and again, he told his brothers about it. Listen, I, I've had another dream, he said. The sun, the moon, and, the, and 11 stars bowed low before me. This time he told the dream To his father as well as to his brothers, but his father scolded him. What kind of dream is that? He asked. Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow to the ground before you? But while his brothers were jealous of Joseph, his father wondered what the dreams meant. So Joseph already had favor with his father. He was already the favorite one of all of them. He was the youngest. Got this special coat. You know, the youngest kid always gets spoiled the most, right? You know how that works. Virginia, you need to realize that. Just the way it is. The younger kid always gets spoiled the most. So Joseph's got, he's kind of got everything going his way, except for the fact that his brothers hate his guts and they wish he were dead. And so he handles the dream wrong. He even handles it wrong in front of his dad and he gets, he gets rebuked from his father for it. And some of you are here today and you've had dreams and you've had visions and for some reason or another, they're lost today. They're lost. Your dreams are gone. You haven't thought about your dreams. You haven't thought about your ambitions. You haven't thought about your goals or your visions for your future. You've kind of given up. You've had enough people around you telling you that that'll never happen. You see, that's a crazy thing about a dream is when you got to be careful who you share it with. Because you can share it with people that will rejoice with you or share it with people that will reject you. Now, he should have went to his father privately and said, hey, dad, I've been having these dreams. Can you help me understand what they mean? Instead of running to his brother, hey, man, I had this dream. (laughs) Y'all going to bow down to me. How's that working for you? So the second thing we see is the journey in Genesis chapter 37. Go to verse 23. Joseph has this dream. His brothers hate him. And all of a sudden his, his brothers, they, 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 want to, they want to get away from him. They don't want nothing to do with him. They're kind of hiding from him. They take off to this other country with, with their father's sheep and they're doing their thing. And the father says, Jacob says, I want you to go and check on your brothers for me. And so he goes, watch this in verse 23. 
It says, so when Joseph arrived, his brothers ripped off the beautiful robe he was wearing. Then they grabbed him and threw him into a cistern. Now the cistern was empty. There was no water in it. Then just as they were sitting down to eat, they looked up and saw a caravan of camels in the distance coming toward them. It was a group of Ishmaelite traders taking a load of gum, balm, and, and an aromatic resin from Gilead to the, down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain by killing our brother? His blood would just give us a guilty conscience. Instead of hurting him, let's sell him to those Ishmaelite traders. After all, he is our brother. Yeah, don't kill him, just sell him. After all, he is our brother. And, and our, our own flesh and blood and his brothers agreed. So when the Ishmaelites who were Midianite traders came by, Joseph's brothers pulled him out of the cistern and sold him to them for 20 pieces of silver. And the traders took him to Egypt. So the brothers, let me set this up. The brothers saw Joseph coming and they made plans to kill him. Now that's pretty mad. That's pretty angry. That's pretty jealous. Jealousy will do some crazy things. Anger will do some crazy things. So they wanted to kill him. And then one of the brothers said, no, let's not kill him. And then he left. And then another brother said, well, instead of killing him, let's throw him in this pit. You see, sometimes people throw you into pits. Sometimes people wake up in the morning just to knock you down. Sometimes people get jealous of you. They get jealous of the fact that God is with you and that you're serving God. When you gave your life to Jesus, you actually probably gained more enemies than you had before. In fact, I know you put a bullseye on your back for the enemy to come after you real hard. So Joseph finds himself sold into slavery. And then what happens from there is that he gets brought to Egypt as a slave and he, he, he gets sold to a guy named Potiphar and Potiphar buys Joseph to work in his house. And soon he realizes that God is with Joseph. This is important. God is with Joseph as a slave and Joseph starts to work at Potiphar's house and Potiphar being a, a, a wise man realizes that there's something about this boy that's different than the rest. And before you know it, Joseph is in charge of Potiphar's house. But it's, it's sad that he was thrown into a pit and sold into slavery. But at the same time, God is with him and promoting him. You see, the enemy wants you to believe that when you're thrown into a pit and you're sold into slavery or something bad happens in your life, that that's the end. And he's trying to convince you that God is mad at you. And that's why that's happening. But that's not true. God is powerful enough to convict you of sin is what the Bible says. The Holy Spirit will come and whisper in your ear if you've got sin in your life. That from my experience, God whispers several times before he ever shouts anything from a rooftop to me. And when there's sin in my life, he comes to me and he convicts me. And it's gracious and it's redeeming and it's a bringing back kind of a conviction that, that makes me want to go, oh man, I didn't, I'm sorry. Makes me want to repent and cling to him. He doesn't come and condemn me, but the enemy wants you to, con to be convinced that God is mad at you, that you've blown it, that you've gone too far, that it's over, that God doesn't love you. He's mad at you and he don't even like you anymore. And he don't care how long you sit in that pit. You see, we got to control who we're listening to. The devil talks all the time. The flesh talks all the time. The Holy Spirit talks and what he says is true. And he speaks directly to your heart. And it's a bringing back kind of a message. The enemy wants to bring you down. The Holy Spirit wants to bring you back up. You got to remember that. So when you hear the enemy condemning you, you need to take authority over that. Amen. You need to put that in its place. So Joseph ends up at Potiphar's house and man, things are going well. He's the man in charge. He's the, the top slave of all the slaves. He's got the run of Potiphar's house and he's doing so good that, that Potiphar's wife gets attracted to him. And she makes a pass at him and he takes off running and she claims something false that he tried to rape her and, and he ends up in prison. And so when you look at Joseph's life, you go, dang, man, this dude can't get a break. 
I mean, he gets thrown in a pit because his daddy loved him and he had a dream and he told everybody about it. He makes his way to Potiphar's house and he becomes in charge of the whole household. And because Potiphar's wife makes a pass at him and he refuses, which he does the right thing, he gets thrown into prison. It looks like his life is going down, right? It looks like it's getting worse. But the reality is, is that he's actually going up. And he's actually getting closer to the plan of God over his life. And he, he, does, he may not realize it at the time, but he's closer to the dream being fulfilled than he ever was before. So there was a journey that he went on. And let me say this this morning. How you handle the pits in life says a lot about how you see yourself in this life. Tomorrow's Monday. You're already aware of that. Everybody knows what Monday is. If you're like me, you started the fast early. And so today you get to break the fast. So tomorrow I may have a sugar hangover. Just saying, it's possible. But Monday's coming. And there may be a pit tomorrow. There may be something bad that happens tomorrow. And I want to say to you today, how you handle that says a lot about how you see yourself in this life. If you see yourself as a slave, you will walk into that pit. And when you hit the bottom, you'll say, I knew this was going to happen. It'll never get better for me. I was born to be disastrous. I'll never get a break. That's if you see yourself as a slave. If you see yourself as a son or child of God adopted by the king. You'll see things differently. And when you fall into that pit, you say, that's okay. I'll be here for a little while, but I'm going to get out. This ain't forever. This is just a temporary setback. This is just a part of my journey on the way to my dream. I'm on somebody. It's all how you see yourself. Do you see yourself as a slave or do you see yourself as a son? Because the enemy's constantly calling you slave and the Holy Spirit's constantly calling you son. Which one are you going to listen to today? The reason you're still addicted is because of the way you see yourself. Let that marinate for a minute. The, the places I'm still struggling in, in the flesh are there because of the way that I see myself in the kingdom. It says a lot about what I believe about Jesus. It says a lot about what I believe about what he did on the cross. It says a lot about how much I believe in him and how much I trust him. That's what it says. Because when you're, when you're a child of God, when you realize that you've been adopted into his family, that junk that's been holding you down means nothing anymore. You start to hate it. You start to despise it. You start to run away from it because it makes you sick because it doesn't belong in your life. Come on, somebody. It's all how you see yourself. You see, God did the work already and it's finished. He's just waiting on us to get on board with what he's already done. Live like a child adopted by the king. Lord, give us revelation this morning. Open my eyes. Look at what first Peter two nine says. I want you to read this. You need to hear this deep down in your spirit this morning. First Peter two nine. And you got to believe this. But you are not like that. For you are chosen people. You are royal priest, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result of all that, you can show others the goodness of God. For he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. That's how he sees you today. You got to get this. I'm going to stay here until we get it. Man, I'm telling you, you've been living with them dead bones too long. You're a chosen people, 
a royal priest, a holy nation. How dare you believe anything different? Because when he adopted you, he put his name on you. He cleansed you with his blood and he brought you out of darkness into wonderful light. Come on, somebody. He, he's, he rescued you. Not for you to keep acting like you're in chains. You need to have a little chip on your shoulder. <laughs> I said you need to have a little chip on your shoulder. Well, Pastor, I will got in trouble for having a chip on my shoulder. You need to have the right kind of chip on your shoulder. The kind of chip that says, you know what, I'm adopted. I'm a son of the living God. I've been rescued. I am alive today. I'm not spiritually dead. I'm spiritually alive. I belong to the king. Five of you are getting that this morning. Why is that so hard to believe? Why is that such a struggle? Why is it so hard to just remember and to live out this thing that I've been adopted? Why is it so hard? Listen, I know it's hard. There's days I feel like I'm the, I'm, I'm the furthest person away from the kingdom of God. There's days I feel like I don't belong. I've realized that that's the days that I'm listening to the enemy and maybe even the people around me. But I've realized something else. That I'm trying to see God like I saw my father on earth. So for me, that looked like a disconnected God. My dad was nowhere to be found. So my struggle is, is that I see God as a distant God. And if I need something, I can call. But basically, he's way off in the distance and he's not too concerned about me. That's my struggle. That's where I fall to. But that's not the truth. The truth is he's right here with me. I'm adopted. I'm in his family. I belong. He's, he's concerned about the details of my life just as much as he is the big events of my life. And he loves me and he really does care for me. He really does. He cares about my bobos. I believe it's important to read your Bible and I I believe it's important to bathe yourself in the word of God. I believe in the importance of memorizing scripture because the Bible says that how that that how can a young man cleanse his way? How can a young man keep from sinning by hiding God's word in his heart? See, I can't I can't go and counsel people and do the work that God's got for me to do pastor this flock with this in my hand all the times. But if I'll take this and put it here, then it's with me all the time. And then the government or anybody else who wants to come and shut this down can shut it down, but it's right here and it's with me 24 seven. And because it's with me 24 seven and I've placed it in my heart and it's now a life verse. It's not just a scripture. You got to get this. It's not just words on a page. This is God's anointed and spoken word over my life. This is the word of God to his children. And it's powerful and it gives life. It's sharper than a two edged sword. To pierce even the hardest hearts of a knucklehead. Right? You keep it inside of you. You surround yourself with people that have your best interests in mind. People that aren't jealous of you. If you're hanging around people that are jealous of you, you need to get rid of them people. Shoe fly, don't bother me. Serious, some of you are listening to too many people say too many things about you. And you're not listening to what God says about you. Daddies today are watching TV and TV's telling them what kind of daddy they're going to be. I mean, what does the father look like on TV today? He's a joke. But if you're watching more of that, then you're reading the scriptures and you're placing this in your heart. And you're placing that in your heart. Then you're going to live out what you've been putting inside of you. We were never called to be Al Bundy. 
All the women should have said amen. I've been telling him that for years. He ain't supposed to be like Al Bundy. You're a son of God. Right? I realized this week that I need a greater revelation of God. I only know God so much. And I need a greater revelation. Why do I need a greater revelation? So that I can live up to that, repu- that revelation. I can see him that way. I can know him better. Because the better I know him, the better I know me. Come on, somebody. The better I know me and what I'm called to be and who I am. You see, the dream God gave Joseph was bigger than Joseph. It was way bigger than Joseph. Although Joseph didn't realize it, this dream was for the next several generations. Joseph didn't see the overarching plan of God when God gave him this dream. He saw this dream and he thought it was all about him. And that's what got him into trouble is when he thought the dream was just about him. But the dream wasn't just about him. The dream was about generations to come that God would actually take Jacob and his family. We're going to see it in a little while. Take them, place them in Egypt in a land where they could multiply. And they're now called the children of Israel. And then later on, he would move them on from there into the promised land. God had a plan. It started with Joseph. Joseph's dream was a part of a bigger plan. The dream that God has for your life is for a bigger plan. It's not just for you. So number three, Joseph's comeback. Go with me to Genesis chapter 40. I'm going to give you a bunch of scriptures today. Verse 14. By this time we find Joseph in prison. He gets thrown into prison. So he leaves Potiphar's house. He gets thrown into this prison, but he's real close to the palace and he's in this prison and he's in there with a baker and a cupbearer. Not a bad deal. Could have been a murderer and a rapist, but he's in there with a baker and a cupbearer. It's okay. And once again, The favor of God is with Joseph. God is with Joseph. Joseph, he gets elevated. He gets promoted again to be over all the prison. It's funny. He gets dropped into a pit and God elevates him out of it. He wasn't the guy that was laying on the floor, beaten, bruised, and battered. He was in a pit, but he got elevated in the pit. He went to prison And he was over all the prison. God was with him the whole way. Whether he realized it or not, those around him realized that God was with him. So watch this. Basically, the the cupbearer and the baker have a dream. And they're in there and they're sharing their dream with Joseph. And Joseph says, well, I can interpret that dream. And he he prays or whatever he does. and, And he interprets their dreams and he interprets their outcome. Now, what I find funny about that is that Joseph had a dream he couldn't interpret but he's in prison interpreting other people's dreams. It's interesting, right? That if, if he could have interpreted his own dream, he would have saw that it was bigger than him. He would have saw how his brothers would have actually come with the, with the bundles of grain and the stars. and the moons. He'd have seen all that. But he didn't. He didn't. He interprets their dreams. And to the one that's going to make it, Verse 14, he says, and please remember me and do me a favor when things go well for you. Mention me to Pharaoh so he might let me out of this place. I would imagine what Joseph's feeling right now is like, man, all I did was told him what my dream was. (laughs) I bet he said this. I bet he said, I'll never tell anybody what my dreams are again. I'm not doing that again. That hurts too bad. He's like, all I did was shared my dream. I've done been in a pit, accused of rape. Now I'm in prison. And my last hope, it looks like, is this (laughs) cupbearer. He says, just remember me. Watch what happens. 
in 41 verse 1. It says, two full years later. (laughs) You think you got a little impatient? You think you got discouraged? Anybody been waiting on something for a while? How many of you would be honest this morning and say, you know what, I've given up? Probably a thousand times. Let me say something to you today. Don't give up. Don't focus on the time. As long as there's breath left in your lungs, there's still a dream to be had. Amen. God's not finished yet. Just because he's quiet doesn't mean he's not close. Just because he's silent doesn't mean he's not with you. Just because you're not moving what feels like in his direction doesn't mean that you're not on the right path. You see, the crazy thing is that with all this stuff going on in Joseph's life, he was right where God wanted him to be. He was closer to the dream than he had ever been before in his life, even though he was in prison. You see, it doesn't matter what your environment is. It matters what your position is in Christ. Who are you in Christ? Who are you in Christ? No matter what your environment is. No matter what you're standing in. Who are you? Who's your daddy? Who's your daddy? Who do you belong to? Two full years later, Pharaoh has a dream. I'm thinking, dude, you should have hurried up. So he has this crazy dream and he tries to get all of his closest people to interpret it. And the cupbearer just happens to be there with his cup for the king, for Pharaoh. And and he hears what's going on and he says, hey, uh, I remember this guy. In prison. I, I'll be honest. I'd have hit the cup bearer when I saw him. I'd be like, dude, it took you two years to remember me. Like for real. I interpreted your day gone dream. That's just me. He says, I, I remember there's this guy in prison. He may still be alive. He can interpret your, he interpreted my dream. He may can interpret your dream. Pharaoh says, well, bring him. Cause nobody else could interpret the dream. You see how God set him up. I say, you see how God set him up? Nobody else could interpret the dream but Joseph. So Joseph comes in and he basically reads Pharaoh's mail. He tells him exactly what the dream's going to be and what he needs to do to to take plans. He talks about there's going to be seven good years and there's going to be seven bad years and you need to prepare in the seven good years for the seven bad years that are coming. You're going to go through a drought. You're going to go through a famine. All these bad things are going to happen, but God's going to give you seven good years to store up everything that you need. And if you'll do it. And what's crazy is that God gives him the organizational administrational skills to do what needed to be done to interpret. He didn't just interpret the dream. He had the skills to fulfill the dream. You know where he learned those skills? At Potiphar's house and at prison. You caught that? It don't matter where you're at. God's still doing something. He's still developing you in the pit and in the prison and even at Potiphar's house. He's still developing you. Don't despise where you're at today because God's going to do something. Listen, God can do anything with any situation you're in. Sometimes I go, all right, how are you going to use this? Like for real, God, how are you going to use this? And he does. And he continues to. So Joseph interprets the dream and Joseph gets himself another promotion. And he becomes number two in all of Egypt. That's a pretty quick shift, isn't it? From the prison to the palace. Can somebody believe for that today? Can somebody say, Lord, tomorrow I'd sure like to be in the palace. I mean, dear goodness, if it happened for Joseph, this is my attitude. If it happened for Joseph, it can definitely happen for me. 
Some of you might need to say, Lord, I'm ready for the palace. This prison's getting old. Genesis 42 in verse 1. Watch what happens. It says, when Jacob heard that grain was available in Egypt, he said to his sons, why are you standing around looking at one another? I've heard there is grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy enough grain to keep us alive. Otherwise, we'll die. So, so Joseph's 10 older brothers went down to Egypt to buy grain, but Jacob wouldn't let Joseph's younger brother Benjamin go with them for fear some harm might come to him. So Jacob's sons arrived in Egypt along with others to buy food for the famine, for the famine was in Canaan as well. Since Joseph was governor over of all Egypt and in charge of selling grain to all the people, it was to him that the brothers came. When they arrived, they bowed before him with their faces to the ground. Joseph recognized his brothers instantly, but pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Where are you from? He demanded from the land of Canaan. Canaan, they replied, we have come to buy food. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they didn't recognize him. Verse nine. And he remembered the dreams he'd had about them many years before. If he had to remember the dream, then that means that he forgot about the dream. You see, life has a funny way of helping you forget things. When you lose loved ones or bad things happen to you, you can tend to forget about where you're supposed to be and where you're supposed to be going. And maybe even the plans that God has for you. But I promise you that God's a remembering God and he's going to bring it back to your remembrance. What Joseph saw in that moment when his brothers walked up and bowed down to him was dream number one. Remember what his brother said? This goes to prove that you don't listen to the people around you. Do you really think you'll be king over us? Do you really believe that we're going to bow down? I mean, are you serious? Listen, people have told me all my life that I'm going to amount to nothing. And thank God I didn't listen to them. Amen. Amen. Thank God I, I somewhere along the line. I said, shut up. I'm done with that. God had to rescue me, pulled me from my family because they were so much trying to knock me down. He pulled me away. Thank God he didn't listen to his brothers. Yeah, I guess you're right. No, I'll never. Mm -mm. So Joseph remembers his dream and then he goes through this, 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 this journey that I think is crazy because you think that, you know, when the dream gets fulfilled, it's then all peaches and cream, right? I mean, when the dream comes to pass, you're thinking the birds are singing, the sun is shining. It's a beautiful spring day. Everybody likes you and everything's going your way, but that's not true. You got to remember that Joseph just ran back into the brothers that threw him into the pit. The very people that hurt him and sinned against him and that tried to kill him. That sold him for 20 pieces of silver. These were the guys that were bowing down in front of him. And though he was excited to remember the dream God gave him, he had the other emotions of, oh my God, that's them. Whew, the heck am I going to do? All these feelings coming up, anger, wrath, bitterness, jealousy, just wanting to pay him back. I bet in one hand he wanted to hug him and with the other hand he wanted to smack him. Right? Joseph now has to handle the dream being fulfilled in his life. It would be nice to say that it just kind of happened and everything was beautiful. But it didn't happen that way. When you read the story, he had breakdowns. He had meltdowns. He cried his eyes out. He didn't know how to handle it. He treated them harshly. He falsely accused them. Threw them back into prison. Made them do all kinds of crazy stuff. He was wrestling inside. He was tormented with this dream being fulfilled. And I want to tell you today, that's okay to feel that. That's just being real. That's just being alive. 
I never forget one time my uncle, my closest uncle, like a father to me, I'd got this inheritance and he called me up and he pretty much gave me the what for. He said, your grandma didn't love you. She was going to change that will. She just died before she changed it. She didn't love you. She died mad at you. What makes you think you're the golden child? Why do you think you're, this is the guy I love the most. The closest father figure I had in my life was cutting me to the core in that moment. And we left that conversation. He accused me of all kinds of stuff. We left that conversation and two years later, I drive up to his house surprisingly to talk to him. He's outside. He comes up after two years. He, he, he comes up to me, goes, sorry, Brian, got nothing to say to you. You can leave. Cut again. Hurt, wounded, crying my eyes out all the way home. The man I loved the most in my life was the one that was cutting me to pieces. It was several years after that. And I'm sitting in my house in Jennings one on, on an average everyday night, getting ready to, to find the easy chair and, and kick back and take it easy. And my phone rings and it's his name. And in that moment, I had a thousand emotions running through me. Just like, shoo, 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 just coming through me. I was like, I can't even make a decision to answer the phone. I'm like, uh, 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 hello? First words out of his mouth. He used to call me Bubba. He said, Bubba, it's Uncle George. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I was wrong. I was wrong. And you know what? I was torn. Because <laughs> part of me wanted to say, I told you you was wrong, you low down, dirty son of a gun. And the other part was like, I'm sorry too, man. I, you know, I probably did something along the way. That's where I was at. I understand what Joseph's feeling to some degree. He's got all these things coming through him. But there's a bigger picture. You see, your comeback is important. It's important that you come back for you. But you got to know today that your comeback's not just for you. It's for others. I said it's for others. And you need to have them in mind when you bring that back in. When you come back, you need to have others in mind. You, hate, you need to have the next generations in mind. You see, what happened in that moment with my uncle is a curse was broken. A division was broken because I gave forgiveness and I received him back. That thing's not going to pass down to my children. Come on, my comeback stopped a curse that could have been passed down to my children. They're not going to have division in their relationship. They're going to have unity. They're not going to fight with one another and tell each other what they can't do and how bad they are. In Jesus' name. Let me give you this. Never let your past determine your future. Because your future is not the only one at stake. Joseph had to forgive his brothers. He had to. It was generationally important that he forgave his brothers and he gave them the resources they needed to survive. His family was living in the land of death and Joseph was in the land of life and resources. And God brought his family from death back into life because of what Joseph went through. I guarantee you when it was all said and done, Joseph said, I'll do it again. I'll do it again. Amen. He'll do it again. So number four was the dream fulfilled. Number five is their comeback. Go with me to Genesis chapter 45. So Joseph's dealing with his brothers and he's seeing all these things happening. He's dealing with his emotions and all these other things going on. And the Bible says that Joseph could stand it no longer. There were, there were many people in the room and he said to his, his attendants, out all of you. So he was alone with his brothers when he told them who he was. Then he broke down and wept. He wept so loudly the Egyptians could hear him. 
And word of it quickly carried to, the, to Pharaoh's palace. I am Joseph, he said to his brothers, is my father still alive? But his brothers were speechless. They were stunned to realize that Joseph was standing there in front of them. Please come closer, he said to them. So they came closer and he said again, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into, into slavery in Egypt. Watch this. You need to underline this verse. But don't be upset and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. That's forgiveness. That's washing the slate clean on somebody else's life. Don't be upset with yourself. Don't be angry with yourself. It wasn't you. Yeah, you made some stupid decisions. But you know what? It was ultimately God who brought me here. And he just used your stupidity to do it. Verse 6. He said it, or verse 5. He says at the end, he says, It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. This famine that has ravaged the land for two years will last five more years and there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. God has sent me ahead of you to keep you and your families alive and to preserve many survivors. So it was God who sent me here, not you. And he is the one who made me an advisor to Pharaoh, the manager of his entire palace and the governor of all Egypt. Now hurry back to my father and tell him this is what your son Joseph says. So he reveals himself to his brothers and in an instant he forgives them. And in that moment, he takes his brothers from a land of death and no provision, a land of no provision. You see, there's people in your life that are living in the land of no provision. They're living in a land of death and despair and hopelessness. And God is building you up and he's bringing you to a place where he's going to use you to turn you around and he's going to use you to pull people out of darkness into the same light that you're standing in. You see, what, what he used Joseph to do was to bring his family from death into life. So there's people that will never break the doors of a church, people that will never read their Bibles, but there are people that are reading you today. They're reading you close and they're watching every step you take, every move you make, all those wonderful songs. And he's, he's, they're, they're watching you close and they're reading your face and they're reading your actions and they're reading your motives and they're watching you and they're seeing you go up and then you drop in a pit, but then you go up and then you end up in a prison. Then you go up. Don't ever be ashamed to let somebody see where you're at. Don't ever be ashamed to let somebody know your failures because God will use your failures more than he'll use your medals. The world's tired of perfect people. God used him to rescue his family. You want to know something? I'm believing the same thing for my family. I'm believing all my uncles. I pray for them. And my one aunt that's left living and all my cousins and all those folks that are over in the Franklin area. I'm believing that God's going to rescue them. I've forgiven them. I've washed the slate clean. I'm not pursuing them. God's going to bring them. God's going to bring them. God's going to rescue them. They're already watching my life. They come visit every now and then. They call every now and then. They see what's going on. They see how God's prospered me. How God's placed me in a place that I was never supposed to be. I was an un uneducated dirt worker when I left Franklin. Your comebacks for more than just you, it's for some, some other people, the people that are watching your life, the people that are paying close attention to you. Let me tell you something. There's days you feel like, man, nobody cares, but man, they may not care, but they're watching. They're watching. Your coworkers are watching. Your family members are watching. Yeah, they're talking about bad behind your back. They're, they're cutting you down every chance they get. They're telling you you're no good. But at the same time, when something happens in their life, they're calling you to pray for them. They're calling to get what you got. Don't be mad. Let them get some. 
Come on, I know how we are. God sends somebody to get something you got. You go, hmm, that's mine. Man, look, I, you know, I know things have been good between us, but man, we're going through this financial thing. Will you pray for us? Hmm. You learned how to pray a long time ago. You wouldn't be in that position. That's how we are, right? Don't laugh at me. Can I get a witness? Go with me to Genesis 46, 1 to 7. I'm almost done. You getting something yet? Your comeback is important. It's life or death. You got to make your comeback because there's other people coming behind you to get back to. So his brothers go home and they tell his father, man, we found Joseph. We found him. He's alive. He's man, man, dad, he's he's number two in Egypt. Dad, can you believe that? How that boy made it there? I don't know, but he's number two in Egypt. Oh, my goodness, dad. He, he he's doing good. He's alive. The Bible says Jacob's spirits were lifted. <laughs> 46 verse one says, so Jacob set out for Egypt with all his possessions. <laughs> and when he came to Beersheba, he offered sacrifices to God. To the God of his father, Isaac, during the night, God spoke to him in a vision. Jacob, Jacob, he called. Here am I, Jacob replied. I am God, the God of your father. The voice said, do not be afraid to go down to Egypt for there. I will make your family into a great nation. I will go with you down to Egypt and I will bring you back again. But you will die in Egypt with Joseph attending you. So Jacob left Beersheba and his sons took him to Egypt. They carried him and their little ones. And their wives in the wagons Pharaoh had provided for them. They also took all their livestock and all the personal belongings they had acquired in the land of Canaan. So Jacob and his entire family went to Egypt, sons and grandsons, daughters and granddaughters, all his descendants. These are the names of the descendants of Israel, the sons of Jacob who went to Egypt. And it begins to name them. And then you get to verse 26 and it says there were 70 people that day that traveled from Canaan into Egypt that left the land of death and no provision and traveled all the way to the land of provision and life. 70 people. Now, if you know anything about Exodus, there were way more than 70 when Exodus came. God says, I'm bringing you to Egypt because Egypt is the perfect environment for you to multiply. I had this thought about Egypt and multiplying I'll share it real quick. Y'all give me five more minutes. God sends them to Egypt this way. They get to Egypt and they, and, and Pharaoh, they have favor with Pharaoh. Pharaoh gives them the best land. I mean, he hooks them up 70 people and they start to multiply like crazy. I mean, you ever heard the thing? They multiply like baby's kids. Anybody know baby's kids? Come on. That's kind of silly. Yeah. We don't die as we multiply. We's baby kids. You don't remember that? Pray for me. Baby's kids multiply. They were in the land of multiplication, a perfect environment for them to multiply. Then all of a sudden, the changing of the guard comes and there's a new Pharaoh that they don't have favor with. And they, in a way, become in, in, a, in, in a certain kind of way, they become slaves again. And then this new Pharaoh starts taking some of their favor away and he starts cracking the whip on them and making them work hard. You know, people multiply better when they work hard than when they sit on the sofa. You may feel sorry for the children of Israel because they work like slaves. But the thing is that God was increasing their vigor. God was giving them potency. God was helping them out. And they were going to multiply because God had a bigger picture. I know that's funny, but it's true. That's what happened to the slaves when they came to America. They multiplied. And God put him in a place to multiply because he had a bigger plan than just Joseph. They were on their way to this promised land. And God multiplied them and then he rescued them and pulled them out. Isn't that awesome? Don't ever get caught up in where you're at. Get fascinated with where you're going. Come on, somebody. And you, you, if you need to skip the front of the book and go to the back of the book 
and read how the end comes. I mean, God was gracious. He tells us how it's going to end. We win. We win. Stop boudaying. We win. When stuff comes against you, it's just the plan of God. Suck it up, buttercup. Keep on going. We win. Stop pouting. Stop crying. We win. Now you'll need to remind me of that sometime. When my lips dragging, feeling sorry for myself. So God used Joseph and the pit and the prison and Potiphar's house and even the palace to rescue his people. How's God using you today? What's your story? Where are you at in your comeback? Are you somewhere between the pit and Potiphar's house? Are you somewhere between Potiphar's and the prison? Where are you at today? Because wherever you at says a lot about how close you are. And the good news is, is that God is with you the whole time. He's with you in the comeback. And know this, when you get back, you need to celebrate. You need to throw down. You need to have a party like the prodigal son had a party. Right? But you need to keep in mind that your comeback wasn't just for you. It's for others. It's for others. One more point. Genesis chapter 20, chapter 50. Come on, worship team. You can come up that way. I for sure have to end. Jacob makes it into the land. Gets settled in. He's getting older. He brings Joseph's two sons close to him and he blesses them. It was a strange event how things happened, but he blesses his sons. And then Jacob dies, just like God said he was going to do. He dies in the land of Egypt. Chapter 50, verse 14, I'm going to read a little bit. It says, after burying Jacob, Joseph returned to Egypt with his brothers and all who had accompanied him to his father's burial. But now that the father was dead, Joseph's brothers became fearful. Now Joseph will show his anger and pay us back for all the wrong we did to him, they said. So they sent this message to Joseph. Before your father died, he instructed us to say to you, please forgive your brothers. <laughs> I don't know if Jacob actually said that. I'd have done this. I'd have made so, You know, dad said you needed to forgive me. <laughs> you wasn't there? Well, you must have been doing something. He told me. To say to you, please forgive your brothers for the great wrong they did to you for their sin in treating you so cruelly. So we, the servants of God, of your father, beg you to forgive our sin. When Joseph received the message, he broke down and wept. Then his brothers came and threw themselves before Joseph. Look, we are your slaves, they said. But Joseph replied, don't be afraid of me. Am I God that I can punish you? Here's the verse. You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so that I could save the lives of many people. Don't be afraid. I will continue to take care of you and your children. So he reassured them by speaking kindly to them. It was his position that changed his life. The position that God placed him in. You see, when you realize that you're in a rescuing type of position, you live different. You treat people different. When you realize that I've been brought out of darkness into light, when you realize that, when you get that, you're looking for people that are floating by close enough to grab them and pull them out of darkness and bring them into light. You don't care what they did to you. You don't care what they did to somebody you loved. You just grab them and you pull them out because you realize that God's given me a position of rescue. He's given me a place. He brought me back to bring other people back. And how dare we hang on to our comeback just for ourselves and say, it's all about me. It's not just about me. It's about the other people that God brings into my life that he wants me to touch them and to rescue them. 
We can show them goodness. Look at what first Peter says again. Let me read that to you. You've got to hear this. But you are not like that. You are the chosen people. You are a royal priest, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result of who you are, you can show others the goodness of God. For he called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Because of who you are, you can show others the goodness of God. They may come through forgiveness. There may be somebody that you need to forgive and release from what they've done to you. It may be a company you worked for. It may be an event or something that happened to you. You need to release that thing and you need to forgive them and let them go. Because you've been rescued. You've been brought out of darkness and into this place of light. And you got a new name. And you got a new position. And you're not the same anymore. You're not the same anymore. When Jesus gets in your heart and he controls your life, you're not the same anymore. You can't be the same. Because you were dead and now you're alive. You were blind, but now you see. Amen. Live like somebody that's been rescued. Your comeback's not just for you, it's for somebody else. So I guess you could say at the end of all this, dreams do come true. I said dreams do come true. No matter how far you seem to be away from them, they still come true. And God still has a plan for your life and God's still going to use you. And listen to me, you're probably right where he wants you to be. But it don't feel like it. That's why we don't live by our feelings. We live by the leading of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.